Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator, and this month we are broadcasting to you live from Warren's, Wisconsin, home of the Cranberry Festival, where we're expecting 150,000 people to arrive for the festival in 2019. Yet another COVID cancellation. <laughs> Yet we are here in Warren's, Wisconsin, where there is nobody. <laughs> Well, oh, what Wisconsin a sad time for this town. Only has a population of 346 under normal circumstances. When they told us that over a thousand vendors come here for this cranberry festival, we had a hard time <gasps> imagining where they would put them all. And they said, "Oh yeah, we have the, we close all the little streets and we have tents up along the way." And oh my, I'm kind of glad we came here during low key times in retrospect because we really learned a lot about cranberries. About cranberries, and who knows that we need to know about cranberries. It's something very critical in our lives. Maybe I should stop well, and say... Well, i got to try this out here. That this is the co-pilot. Oh. And I am playing hooky from physical therapy appointments oh. and doctor's appointments. And no one has officially released me, but I left anyway. And I'm very faithfully doing my exercises here in the motorhome, which works out just fine. And it's so nice to be in new scenery um, and away from home for a little while and on the road. On the road again, but only four miles or four hours or so from home. So we can easily uh, go back should we feel unsafe or <laughs> should there be bad weather. <laughs> yeah, which has... We are kind of headed back One after. of us wanted to come north and the other one of us was kind of pushing for south. And when you go north this time of year, it can get pretty chilly. <laughs> And um, well, but we've had very good weather. We have had till now, yeah, till but now. I think it's going to truncate this little trip that we had planned. So but the highlight of this back trip, to the cranberries. Yes, where the we highlight have of this trip. Far more about cranberries than so. We stay ever tuned, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to want to hear about this. Well, on other years, though, this is a major festival in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's a big I deal. Mean, literally, hundred and fifty thousand people. I don't know where they would stay. I mean, this town is there really no small. There are no motels within 25 miles of here from what we've seen. Our next-door neighbor, who is as uninterested in travel as we are interested in travel, uh, came up here to this festival and raved about it. And we thought, well, if he liked it, it must be good. So I put it on the list of places to go, and that's what brought us here. So the Warren, uh, Wisconsin, is kind of in the middle of the state, and it's a pretty pretty area because there are lots, in, at this time of year, there's lots of fall foliage, which was one of our goals also for coming up here. But it has uh, a reputation for being the cranberry cap Oh, damn, I can't get it open. <laughs> That's going to sound real good in people's ears. <laughs> so, cranberries, we find, are have had a renaissance. Well, if you are of a certain age as we are, you remember these Yule Gibbons commercials <laughs> where he stands there in a bog and he I is... I don't know if anybody can hear because I'm... Oh. Oh, geez, okay. And Yul Gibbons is standing in a bog um, picking cranberries from 
bushes. So that was my first misconception. Cranberries don't really grow on bushes. They well, grow they do. No, naturally. It's, it's more like ground cover. It's maybe six Well, naturally. Inches. You don't know that. Yes, I do. No, you don't. That's what the guy told us. They grow very near the ground. And that's, I don't think so. And they've built... Have you learned nothing? Gr- do I have to get out all my literature and read it to you again? And they've built giant... Pause the taping. Giant earthenworks of the sandy soil that's around here where the cranberries like to grow. And they um, apparently are very sensitive to things like fertilizer and water. And the very enthusiastic farmer that we talked to has tried for 40 years to get it just right. And he thinks he finally has because he makes more cranberries per acre than anybody else around here. And has learned that if he puts on too much fertilizer, the cranberries would prefer to grow more vines than berries. Oh, hum. So this time of year, they go through the fields with kind of a beating machine and beat the cranberries loose from the plants. Mm, they're quite good. Then they flood the little fields that they are in because they have walls on the sides, and the cranberries float in the water. And that's the other thing that we saw in the Yule Gibbons commercial. There's somebody else that does a commercial. Oh, for Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice, where they're standing yeah. in the water in their... Um, but they don't grow in water. They're rubber bridges. No, it's just a harvesting technique. Which is very cool. I wonder how they learned that. So there are all of these kind of rice paddy-ish looking things all around the area. And we're driving down the road, <clears throat> on a country road. And we're driving we down s- Cranberry Road. Oh, okay. That was the name of the road? Yep. Okay. So we're driving down Cranberry Road, and lo and behold, there's this operation where they're harvesting them. They have machinery and cars and stuff. They're like vacuuming the berries out of the water. So we stop and we're just going to kind of take a few pictures and, and watch and the truck comes over and says the guy very friendly says oh come on over. We, lo- we love to have tourists. We love to show you what we do. What we do. So he took us down to the <laughs> you know we were trying to be spaced and not because of COVID just to, because we're not we don't be in like, their way. We don't, not to be in their way. We're right? working. Right, so he invited us down, introduced us to his daughter, who was uh, his his wife came over. They were so nice. And he told us all about cranberry farming, uh, you know, a very personalized tour, which is something we would never have gotten had there been 150,000 people around. So that was quite interesting. And I'm kind of a fanatic about watching factories and how things things are are made. made, yeah. Yeah. And this man made us understand that these days, relatively little of the cranberries go into juice, which is the main thing I think of, or cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving. Yeah. The big thing <laughs> is what we're here eating. is what we are eating, the craisins. And we are eating uh, oh, watermelon-flavored craisins, which I didn't know. Well, they gave us some was. samples, yeah, which are actually quite good. Yeah. I mean, the watermelon is not overwhelming. No. But... Cranberries, unlike blueberries <laughs> or apples, when we go apple picking or blueberry picking, you come away very full. You eat them as you pick. <laughs> well, cranberries, they don't have you pick them because they're not very good out of the vine. They have thick skins and they're sour. You have, so you have to process them So somehow. apparently the real revolution in the cranberry business has been these craisins. And these guys sell all of their produce, all of their output to Ocean Spray, who turns them into... Craisins. Craisins. And actually, I'm not sure I would tell you know, the difference between these and regular raisins, but oh, they're sweet. yeah. 
They taste oh, they're cranberry. sweet. They're very tasty. Well, I, they made them sweet. Do they take the skin off? No. The skin's on here? I'm eating Just the skin? Just like raisins, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And they're actually very good. So if you haven't tried craisins at the store, I assume they're similar in price to raisins. But they're very sweet and tasty. They made them sweet. And, and this package that I'm eating, it says there are only two ingredients. Water, uh, it's a watermelon. There's only two ingredients. Cranberries and sugar. Lots of sugar. Is there? Oh, yeah. They have to. They're very tart. It doesn't say it. Well, there's no other on the back. It doesn't have any other. Anyway. We're camped near the fields because they're all over here. And um, one of the fields was opened on Saturday for people to tromp around and <laughs> look at the harvesting machinery. People sat on the machines and explained what they do and how they use them. And if you had an extra $10, which we, of course, did since we're not going anywhere and doing anything these days, you mm. could rent boots. boots. No, they're more Leaky. like... Leaky boots. They're more like the kinds of when you were fly fishing waders more. I mean, they had, waders. they had suspenders and, and covered. The, the water was over your knee. Yeah. And so then we got to go into the flooded bog where the cranberries were bobbing around and walk on the plants and get up close and personal with the cranberries. It was great fun. And see the pictures on the website. So it's my impression in a normal year, this farm does this once a year on a Saturday. Um, they're doing it twice this year because there's nothing else to do. Um, our neighbor came up here to a nearby town called Pittsville, I think it is, where the local school was doing tours of other bogs um, on their school bus. And at the end of his tour, he went to the school where he was able to sample all sorts of baked goods made by the future farmers of America or whoever was in, in that school. It was a fundraiser for the school that, of course, was canceled to this year as well. So I think if you wanted to come to the Cranberry Festival, it's definitely worth seeing, and there's a lot to do. It would certainly fill a whole weekend and then some. If you didn't want to come to Warren's on the weekend when all the, the thousands of vendors are here, um, there's still enough to do on the other weekends, like that high school that offers tours all throughout October, because we're here at the beginning of the picking season. So we're very happy to be away, and we are trying to follow all the COVID uh, restrictions, and I think we have. We haven't really talked to anybody close Except up. Except the farmer. We haven't, had, we haven't eaten out. We eat in. So traveling in your RV is still a pretty safe thing to do, or at least we think so. So far, so good. And we just get kind of stir-crazy sitting around home, so... And now that we have come into some cold and wet weather, things that we usually do when the weather is cold are indoor things. And, more? and we don't feel comfortable doing that. So I think we're going to end up going home a little sooner than we had planned. Thank you, COVID. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Because I think the thing we found... <laughs> this is interesting. We stopped at the... Wisconsin Dells, which is one of those super touristy places. Kind of like Dollywood and that, that area in Cherokee, North Pigeon Carolina. Pigeon Creek. Yeah. One of the places that has tons of family things to do and hokey stuff that's manufactured. Um, although the Dells themselves are naturally are kind of beautiful. Naturally, but there, all these other things have built up around it. They have water parks and things. And to our surprise, I think the attractions were open, but there were no people. Yeah, because it's the end of the season, it's after Labor Day, and the people who own the attractions were trying to squeeze the last dollar that they could out of them while the weather still would allow, but um, it was kind of like being in a ghost town. Well, it was kind I, of yeah, eerie. It, yes, and I'm, we, of course, we travel often at this time of year, but it rarely is the situation where things are 
just totally empty, and, mm-hmm. and the streets are empty. So we were kind of surprised. We expected things to be closed. However, Wisconsin is one of those states that has aggressively opened up the, the businesses, and so the businesses seem to be open, but there were no people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could have done whatever we wanted to do, although because we've been to the Dells a couple of times before, we didn't really want to do them the big attractions. But And it's more of a young family place, I would say, than a geezer place. Even uh, things like the Baraboo Circus Museum, which is the Ringling Brothers' uh, winter home, or yeah, summer home, they uh, they were closed. Which was a fabulous attraction yeah. and well worth seeing. If you ever come to this area in a non-COVID year, you should put that on the list as well. So if you look at these pictures that I put up on the website of the day that we were at the cranberry farm, you'll notice something interesting. (gasps) What a beautiful sky there is in the pictures. Cheater, cheater. When in fact it was a very cloudy sky. One of the things I want to talk about today, uh, I had a comment from uh, an email. Somebody who said, I want to improve my pictures. <laughs> They're asking me this. I want to improve my pictures. What what can I do to improve the quality of my pictures? And my comment is these days is, is that uh, there's such sophisticated software that's easy to use that I would uh, not do it in the camera but do it in software, whether it's on your iPad or on your computer whether it's Mac or Windows. There's two things that I would seriously consider, and that's uh, HDR, which is high dynamic range, also known as bracketing. So with this, if you take a look at your camera, many cameras these days will take multiple pictures of the same scene, and they will take them at different exposures. Now, this offers you the advantage of being able to pick the best exposed picture, and because it's free to take as many digital pictures as you want, you can easily uh, throw the ones away that you don't want. Or you can use software which will combine the these four or five pictures and into one picture that has a greater range, high dynamic range, so that the darks will be darker and the lights will be lighter. So as we're here and it's kind of overcast, um, in most pictures your sky would look white and blah. Yes. And with this um, manipulation of the picture after you've taken it, you can see clouds and gradations of gray. And bring out details that you wouldn't otherwise see. Or in your case, you can take the damn sky (laughs) out and put in a blue one. Okay, so HDR is one one of the options that you have and it uses it's very easy to use software and frankly for a long time they talked about HDR because you're taking multiple pictures you have to do it on a tripod and you have to be very specific about it but these days that's not really much of an issue the software is so sophisticated that you can hand hold and my camera just goes because it shoots five pictures, and then I combine them later in software. And if you take a look at pictures, they have a look. And if you are interested, and the the look is good. I mean, I think it's a a very... But it's distinctive. You can tell. Sometimes. You can add HDR to your quiver of things, and you can do it subtly, or you can do it in 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 a more dramatic way. Software like Photoshop does do HDR, but it doesn't do it in a in a big way. So I have a piece of software called Aurora HDR, which is um, available for Mac and Windows, and it allows you to manipulate your pictures in a very easy way and make them look much better. So easy, I can do it. Right. The only issue is is that you shouldn't have things that are moving in the picture. 
But isn't there even an adjustment it where does, it tries to cope it, with that too? It, it does do that, yes, but it's still uh, it's not for high speed sports pictures, for or instance, or a market scene where a lot of people yeah, are walking yeah, around. You wouldn't use it there. But you probably wouldn't need it there. It's for days uh, when it's very bright out, or there's deep shadows, uh, there's sky that's very bright, or on days that it uh, is the it's overcast, and so you can't see the detail in the clouds. So that's one of your choices. Another choice, which uh, I used on the pictures that you're going to see on the website, is the re- sky replacement. Now, sky replacement is really hard. To do manually. To do manually. And, of course, as a Photoshop user, you can do it. But it takes, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes per picture, probably, in order to do it. Now, there is new AI software. So AI is artificial intelligence, and they use the software to analyze the picture, and then it picks out the sky and allows you to change it just in a flash. And the program has many different sky choices within it that are like pre-made for you and you can scroll through, should I use this one or should I use that one? And you can uh, make it the the way you hoped it would be when you took the picture in the first place. So... If you take a look at our website, uh, I have the picture of us throwing the blue uh, the cranberries. cranberries into the air, and you'll notice that the software picked out the cranberries and did not eliminate them. In fact, they are in front of a white cloud so that you can see them far better than you could in the original picture. Which is very cool. So this software is called Luminar, and Luminar is is a piece of software which you which is available for Mac and Windows and it is kind of the all-purpose uh, photo editor to me it allows you it ha- it's nice because it has uh, sliders that let you adjust uh, various aspects of the picture including sharpness and and how the shadows and the, the lightness and darkness and then it but it also has presets so that you can just click on a preset and say oh that really takes care of the problems that I had in my picture and it doesn't look a lot better and you say yes and you save it and it's done and of course this works uh, as a round trip going from software such as Lightroom so that uh, it's a plug-in so that you can use it either as a standalone or as a plugin. And a plugin is something that you add to another piece of software like Lightroom, and you access the soft the, the second party software in Lightroom, and then it sends it back to Lightroom and adds it into your library. Now, when you use these kind of photo manipulation apps, do you lose the original photograph from your storage this files? This is totally is non-destructive. So the, the original picture is there alongside the new one, and you can see what you want what you like about them. And I'm going to put up a couple examples on our website so that you can see what i Before I've and done. after? Because it's ama- the, this new sky replacement is amazing. And if you do portraits... This has a portrait section. We'll get rid of all my wrinkles. Oh, <laughs> and then some. It's a slider, so you How can about say, gray hair. Does it do that too? No. <laughs> but uh, it's very cool because it takes out. It has a slider to brighten up the face, which is another thing that's often the problem. You know, you want the face to have a little bit more of a glow to it. So not changing the wrinkles and things, but it it just lightens up the face on any picture. And then, of course, it has a wrinkle one. It has a teeth whitening one. Mm. It has a lip 
reddening one. Ooh. It has an eye enhancer, which allows you to slightly enlarge the eyes. Oh, that's cute. It has another one that puts catches in the eyes mm-hmm. so that you have a nice light catch. And you can change the color of your eyes. It's, and this is all done with uh, AI, so it's really a, an amazing piece of software, and I would recommend it. And it's less than $100 to buy. The fake, no the, subscription, unlike Adobe. The portrait one, you mean? No, that's part of Luminar, and it has several other features to it. I have not also, used so. that. I've left my wrinkles alone. Why would you do that? It's time to de-wrinkleize. That's why I just don't take pictures of myself. That's even easier. We well, should be de-wrinkleizing your husband. <laughs> you have a beard that covers a lot of sins. Uh, oh, really? Where <laughs> <laughs> there's a relationship there? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, I had another question about winterizing, and over the years I have made a lot of winterizing mistakes, and here it is fall, which is why we are planning to head uh. to Florida before we need to winterize. <laughs> At least. So far, that's the plan. Uh, last year, uh, remember on our trip down to Florida, I was very concerned because our toilet was leaking. And now thinking about it, that was because I probably let it freeze. <sighs> so what did you do? I replaced the toilet. Is that what? No. Yes, this is a new toilet. Oh, this is our second new toilet? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How she... <laughs> Yeah, Don't yeah. mess around. It's but coming I, back to me. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I thought it was a, just a leaking valve, but now that I think about it, it started right after we left for Florida, and it probably was... And it was water leaking. It not, was water leaking. Not yucky leaking. Exactly. So it was probably a result of freezing. So always winterize your toilet. <laughs> And, and I tried really hard to be conscientious. I always do. I have lost... The ice maker. The ice maker. A sprayer in the kitchen, a, sp- a sprayer in the bathroom, hot water heater. <laughs> You've been at this a while. <laughs> Who are you to give advice to others? <laughs> so I'm here to tell you, if you... It ain't easy. Don't, don't winterize. Just <laughs> go to someplace warm. No, everybody, at this time of year, you're winterizing. But when, when be, you unwinterize, make sure you're part next to an RV repair facility <laughs> to replace whatever you forgot to do. <laughs> Your RV navigator has been doing this a long time and has had his share of problems. Well, over many wh- years. Over many years, right. Every and many year rigs. So hopefully we're going to leave this year. Before. Be- oh. Well, we th- were trying to do that last year, but that didn't work out. Anyway, uh, with your water heater, for instance, you can't get all the water out. It's very hard. So you want to put some antifreeze in it. So when you have the plug out of it where you empty the water, then put a little bit of antifreeze in there so that it doesn't freeze. And when you have anything that has a U-shape, we have uh, sprayers that have you know a hose, and that sprayer needs to have the antifreeze in it. And the shower has to have antifreeze in it. And, of course, all your drains... Our washing machine. Our washing machine needs to have antifreeze in it. So there's a lot of things to think about. Um, Make a list. And I would trust myself more than I would a a dealer. Uh, Because you know the rig. Because I I know all the places. You know all the mistakes you've already made. (laughs) And, of course, one of the the other things I do is open the low-point drains. There are many pictures on Facebook groups where people have a picture underneath their rig of these two little hoses that are coming out. And they say, what are these? 
Those are your low point drains. And you'll find above those, you'll find a little valve, which allows you to drain out all of the liquid in your pipes. And everything you've just said pertains to trailers and motorhomes. Well. Absolutely. It's, so what you do, what I do, is put antifreeze through the system, making sure that all the, uh, the, the back areas are and all the distant areas are full of antifreeze. And I don't really want to leave the antifreeze in the system, but I want it to be, a, I want it to be in all those spots. So I open the low-point drain and let the water or let the liquid out so that it doesn't cause a bad taste. Because antifreeze is not very good tasting. Although one of the brands or yeah. kinds is better than the other. You want pure ethylene glycol. Yeah. Anyway, and have fun while you're anti- while you're doing your... You must do it and, and if all, it's going to be below Even freezing. in our big motorhome, it only takes me two, three gallons in order to winterize it. And most of that I remove afterwards and just have a little bit sitting in places that are the low points. Mm-hmm. So the low point drains are something you open after you're done and let all the water out. And, of course, if you have um, another place that's the problem is the out exterior shower. Oh, yeah. That's another valve that needs to be... One you may not be thinking about. Oh, yeah. You don't think about all these things all the time. So Make a list. This, this becomes uh, something of a problem. We got a question from a listener who's thinking about going to Alaska. Oh, yes. And is wondering whether they should do it on their own or do it with a caravan. Uh, we've had this kind of question before. Let me say, number one, make sure you do go to Alaska. It's one of the best places to go as an beer the only way to see that state from stem to stern and second piece of advice is to take your time make sure that you have the whole summer to which go to which caravans generally do not do which is a problem um you've heard many times i'm sure about how awful the roads are and how your toad is going to get flat tires and things do happen they happen everywhere you go uh, but we found as long as we proceeded slowly and carefully we came home Virtually in the best condition we've yeah. ever come home from a trip. Um, we've been there twice. On our own. On our own. With a caravan, the thing that you can get is um, camaraderie. Um, going away all summer, just the two of us could get lonely, although we've taken friends with us, which has been very helpful. And it can be nice if you are navigational. No, I was going to say if you're navigationally impaired, they no. tell you where to go. But in Alaska, there are only like three or four roads, so you can hardly make a navigation mistake, except maybe in Anchorage, because uh, it's not at all urban. That's why you go there. Caravans, uh, even though they sound like they're long, as, uh, there are 60-day caravans. They are long, but they are not as complete as you can do by yourself. And part of the problem you have in Alaska is the weather is not always as cooperative as it should be. And w- there were several times when we were there that we said, oh, we want to stay longer than we really thought we were going to stay. To wait for the weather. To wait for the weather. Or wait for, in our case, the salmon run. You know, you can't quite predict when that's going to happen, and you don't want to miss it if you're going all the way to Alaska. So what you do is you just sit and wait. Now, during our trips, we have not had any problem with finding a place to stay. Never. And especially if you connect it up with boondocking, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes in more detail. But if you connect it up with boondocking, Alaska is no problem at all. You can easily find a place to stay. And we found full hookup, no, well, not full hookups. We found hookup campgrounds with at least electricity almost everywhere, and we didn't have to make advanced reservations other than the day of or a few days we in advance. We usually call ahead when we know where we want to go, just to be sure. Right. But it's it's not a problem. And the roads, not a problem. They are two-lane, 
most of them. And, but, not, and not fast. And you do have uh, frost heaves, which are where the ground uh, makes a bump in the road, and that can lead to some bumpy travel. But it's not a problem if you take your time and you're not in a hurry. We did uh, several side trips. Um, we went. You could easily go to Juneau on the ferry. We did a couple of ferries to... Uh, Co- no, we didn't go to Kodiak on those trips. Uh huh. Uh, oh, we did that on a cruise. Yeah. yeah, but you could go to Kodiak. You could go to uh, some other places, but you need to take Sitka. the time to do that. And it is cool to sit and uh, have your campground in, in in the pristine wilderness of Alaska and the mountains and things. One of the things that I would kind of poo-poo is Denali National Park. Well, they are so busy protecting the animals from you that you don't get to see any, and you can't really drive into the park. You have to take a tour, which is on a school bus, and it's on a gravel road, so all the bus windows immediately get very dusty and dirty, and you can hardly see out of them. Yeah. The animal viewing is much better in other places. And And Denali as a mountain is a frustration because because it hardly ever comes out from beneath the clouds, and you're very lucky to get to see it. Now, of course, if you do do a caravan, they will take you to Denali. It's the park. It's the park. And, of course, you would want to do this, but they get no special trip, nothing special about what they do for you is uh, part of Denali. Uh, they take you on the bus, and you could, which you could do and pay for it on your own. With that said, we wanted to see Denali, and we couldn't see it, and it took us like six days to see it. So we stayed longer than we should have, longer than we were intending to. Um, also, we did some things which uh, caravans can't do, because we could plan to be in Fairbanks for the Midnight Sun, Midnight Sun Festival. And, you know, you just can't plan that. You know, caravans have to kind of go on a circular route or they take a specific route. And if you're there when it's happening, okay. If you're not, then too bad. And you have to give due consideration to the part of the drive that you are going through before you even get to Alaska. I'm talking about the Yukon Territory and Alberta and British Columbia. Beautiful parts of Canada, also very remote and wild, and you will see animals and beautiful scenery in that part of the drive as well. We left our home in Chicago mid-May and left Alaska when it was about ready to snow a little bit, and I feel like we did a good job of everything that we wanted to do and see there, but it took us a long time. We feel like we did, it was well worth it, and I would love to go back again, but I would not go back with a caravan, um, because it just isn't worth it to us. And the caravans, of course, are reasonably priced, 100 bucks a day or so, but, you know, you get you can do a lot with $100 a day. Mm-hmm. You're paying you know? for the expertise and the hand-holding. Yeah, of and the you don't save anything on gas, of course, with a caravan. You don't save anything on food. Do they get deals on campgrounds? Maybe. Uh, well, that's included. So yeah. you do get, you know, pre-designed campgrounds, and, of course, they're going to be campgrounds that are big because they have to accept uh, all the rigs, and they have to be willing to have this uh, influx of people. We, ca- we found better campgrounds, I think, than what... And caravans try to make it as easy experience for you, so whenever possible, they choose campgrounds that have electricity and water and sewer or parts of those things uh, to make life simple and easy for you, but those are not necessarily the best places to stay or the prettiest places to stay, and you kind of can be cheek by jowl with one another, parked close together, when you want to be out in the wilderness and nature, which is why we would recommend doing more boondocking when, when you are in Alaska. 
And I think a lot of people think of boondocking and they think of small RVs. They think of the van type or the Class B RVs as being great for boondocking. But my contention is is that the big guys like us, the the 45-footers, are actually the best for boondocking. Well, we can stay on our own independently for long periods of time, which even when you are as thrifty as you can be, you eventually run out of electricity, you run out of water. And we've been putting this to the test on this trip. Uh, We have been in several campgrounds that have had no electricity. We have been in places that have had only electricity. And so far, we have not, we haven't been in a site that has either water or sewer. So we have um, relied on the storage tanks. On the tanks. And this is something that's interesting with boondocking. uh, And I think that you need to consider this. We've stayed in the Wisconsin State Parks which are very reasonably priced and, well, I don't know. And they had uh, electricity of some sort. Right now, we are three nights in a county county park park in Wisconsin. We're camped on a lake. Um, Even with our big guy here, we are... There are plenty of sites that we could have gotten into. They're widely spaced, so if you worry about COVID, you don't have to think about that once you get here. And they have water and electric at most sites. This is a little... (laughs) I don't understand how this works exactly. If you have water, where do you put it? Well, (laughs) parks like this always have places to dump. Yes, but... And when when we're in places like this, we often see people pulling a little blue container down the road on rails. Yes, the guy before us when we came in. Which is where they are putting their dumping materials to tow it to the dumping place. Either that or you have to pick up and move and go dump with your rig. And this was kind of our goal on this trip is to see, uh, put things to the test and to use our water pump and check the tanks and make sure that everything was working good. Because when we're in Florida, we are uh, on full hookups. I've been very comfortable, whether whether on generator or, or being plugged in. And, of course, if you're east of the Mississippi River... It's sometimes hard to find boondocking sites if you really want to do boondocking. There's very little open land. When you're out west, there are lots and lots of BLM lands that you can use for boondocking. And that's, that's good. But east of the Mississippi, that's more of a problem. So we joined a website called Boondockers Welcome. And that's the name of the website, Boondockers Welcome. And for 50 or so dollars a year, they give you access to thousands of places where you can camp or you can boondock, literally boondock. That means no connections. All parts of the east. And you're on property that somebody owns and they have given you permission to be there so it feels kind of above board. Sometimes I felt kind of sneaky when we were, like in Alaska, when you just kind of pull off and stop somewhere. Um, This is all very well organized and you email the owner for permission and he emails you back and says yes, I have room and please come. So it's actually actually better than that. Well organized um, system. Both sides of the transaction are validated because the website acts as an intermediary. And they rate you, you rate them, and as the number of people involved gets bigger, uh, everybody is trusted because they have been validated uh, as as they use the website, which is cool. So we stayed at a, I don't know what to call it, a farm slash business. We stayed in an off kind of an out-of-the-way sort of place that was uh, not in their way at all. And they said, welcome. And uh, we put down our jacks, we started the generator, and we were there for the time. Safe and comfortable. 
Yes. Now, did we need our generator the whole time? We run our generator about oh, three hours a day. And we have an electric coach. And we have an all-electric coach. And we have solar on the roof. And so many people are putting their faith in solar as the only source of power. And to me, that's a huge mistake. If you're planning on boondocking, my advice would be to get a generator. Because solar is good, but it has significant limitations. Sun goes away. Yes, and especially if you're going to be boondocking in a warm weather where you need air conditioning, you are definitely going to need a generator. I had a, a, an interesting conversation with a guy who had 900 amps worth of, of uh, battery power, lithium batteries. We have eight batteries and uh, what look like car batteries. And as you probably remember, if you've listened to us for a while, you know that last uh, spring we replaced them with AGMs for about $1,600. He probably spent uh, probably more like six or $7,000 on his batteries. And he said that his batteries would run a single air conditioner for five hours. On a hot day. On a it would run his air conditioner on any day for five hours. Now, five hours worth of air conditioning overnight is not going to be good enough. <laughs> and then, after your batteries are depleted, what do you do? And you can uh, use solar power to, to recharge them. And probably during a day, they might recharge. You need a lot of solar to recharge that 900 amps. But... You're not going to be able to run the air conditioner in the, as simultaneously with charging your batteries. When it's really hot. I know a lot of people talk about running their air conditioning, and I've mentioned this before, but it's just not feasible. So you need a portable generator. And if you're going to get a, a generator, be sure to buy one that's an inverter generator because the power is cleaner. And just as a, as a small aside, those of you who remember us going through the uh, our previous motorhome, which did not have uh, clean power, we burned out the electric blanket <laughs> twice <laughs> because we didn't have clean power for the electric blanket. Clean power is essential. F inverter power is essential for these modern coaches and modern electronics. I know what people are. You're shaking your head no, but yes, it is. Um, and it's just not that expensive these days to get yourself a decent inverter generator. Uh, the Predators are pretty good. Hondas and Yamahas are pretty good. And uh, it's worth it to have a small one. Even a small one will charge your batteries pretty quickly. Um, and so... That's, uh, to me, an essential part of boondocking. Another essential part of boondocking, as you're buying your RV, is to have sizes of your tanks that are reasonable. I have here an ad for a motorhome. And I'm trying to read this now. And this has its capacity, its tank uh. It has the a total capacity of the waste tank is 104 gallons, but it only has 50 gallons of fresh water to fill them. It which should be like vice versa, I would say. The gray water, the wastewater is 38 gallons. So 50 gallons of fresh water 
is not going to last you very long. So when you're buying your RV, you need to make sure that the sizes of the tanks are reasonable if you're going to be boondocking. If you're not going to be boondocking, then it really doesn't make too much difference. Uh, we find that in boondocking, and water is one of those big things that you that you absolutely have to have. If you're boondocking, we find a, a reasonable amount of water is about 20 gallons for two people for a day. So 10 gallons per person per day. And sadly, and during this, these times, I'm doing a lot more cooking, which means we have a lot more dishwashing to do. But that includes dishwashing and normal ablutions that you might be doing, including things like taking a shower. And I know a lot of people say take the Navy shower where you, you blah, 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 but I take a shower and it takes about five gallons of water to do the shower. Uh, I'm not interested in uh, really... A life of privation. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested in boondocking. <laughs> I'm interested in, in living off and the grid. And being a cool place and being comfortable. Yeah. So... Our 100-gallon of water tank will last us on the order of uh, five days, uh, maybe a week if we really want to stretch it, if we want to reduce the showers, and if we eat out or use pl paper plates or things like that. But under normal circumstances, it would last us about five days. And we have the gray tank capacity and the black tank capacity to go that long also. So uh, It should match. It should, yeah, 50 gallons of water, and then I have 100 gallons of waste. Waste. What do you do? So I, that, that's an interesting thought. So when you're buying your RV, if, if you're thinking about boondocking, then you need to be thinking about uh, the ca capacities that you have. And, of course, the batteries also are another one, the electric power. Uh, generator is good, and even with a generator, unless you want to run it full time, which doesn't make much sense, we run it uh, a little bit in the morning to make coffee and stuff and to kind of uh, refresh the batteries. And then we run it a couple hours in the evening. And with that um, and the solar panels in the roof, that uh, takes care of our battery needs. And our batteries are kept charged. And uh, on sunny days, they'll run all day and run the refrigerator and keep everything in good shape. And we watch TV and, you know, the, the usual sorts of things that you would do. We do what we do. <laughs> and we live a normal life. Right. We're not there to be austere. The main constraints I feel is I can't do the laundry. But yes. that's okay because there's another laundromat down the road or a place where we can plug in again. We also enjoy uh, boondocking at casinos. Um, there are yep. many that have large parking lots where they encourage you to stay overnight. Generally, casinos have security, which is a little better than parking at a Walmart, I would say. Yeah. In normal times, you can go in and have a nice buffet, even if you don't gamble, to pay for the hospitality of the casino. Exactly. And we've also talked before about another organization we call we joined called Harvest Hosts, which has all different kinds of places that welcome you to boondock um, on their facility. In their parking lot. Vineyards so are, very, are very common. Harvest hosts, breweries, farms, farms museums, businesses of all sorts. That Go golf course. Golf courses, that? right. Yeah, uh, Golf courses is actually a different uh, fee for that. But uh, having access to these, uh, you're not paying the individuals, you're paying the website to provide you with the links and they go out and, with the information. and verify. You hate to just pull over on the side of the road. Um, especially east of the Mississippi. Yeah, especially. And it's, it's a little bit iffy. And Walmarts eh, are a little iffy also. And so these places offer you a quiet, nice place to stay as long as you have the capability to stay without any hookups. And that's what boondocking is. Dispersed camping. We have done that now uh, for the whole time that we've been gone. We've been either using 
the harvest hosts or the boondockers welcome or we've been staying in state parks with minimal connections or to this county park and even as big as we are we have found plenty of campsites that uh, that we where we use. fit this fine this camp this campground here <laughs> the biggest problem for us is is the satellite connection so we like to watch satellite TV. So finding places without trees is kind of our thing. And, and counterintuitive for what most campers want. And in want. this particular park, we are kind of parked um, out in the open, but that's where we wanted to be. So if you wanted to park under the trees, that's not a problem. And you can have your campfires every night. We had an interesting discussion with uh, some fellow RVers. They came over and chatted with us um, the other night, and they saw our antennas on the roof and asked us about uh, what we're doing with our antennas and how to get Internet on the road. And I think we need to reiterate this again. At one time, of course, we had satellite Internet, and that turned out to be a good thing for the time but is no longer really viable until Elon Musk comes along with his uh, multiple satellites in the sky. But that's probably five years down the road. You know, he's launching. He's got 800 satellites in the sky already, and they're supposed to start their beta program in the not probably alpha in the not too distant future but that'll be interesting uh, as to watch as uh, the time goes along it makes me wonder how much he's going to charge for the service oh. since he's got a lot of expenses to recoup putting all those satellites up in the sky and not only that but he's got an exclusive for and hundreds of people are going to be this is this will be their only, only option choice. we have transitioned from the satellite internet to cellular because cellular has become much more commonly available we now have two two hotspots. And I know a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to use the cell data on my phone. But if you have a, a tablet or you have a computer or you have uh, other internet devices like Fire Sticks or like uh, Roku's or Apple TV's, then you need to have some sort of device which provides data. And that data comes over the cell service. Now, we are here in the middle of what seems like the middle of nowhere, and we have super good internet service. The cellular data service is uh, very good through our hotspot. We're getting 50 megabits a second, which is almost as good as it is at home. But how do you go about getting that? And one thing is you're not going to get that through your phone. So you want to probably get yourself a hotspot from your provider. Which is a gizmo. Which is a gizmo that plugs in separately. And many of these gizmos have a couple of extra ports where you plug in an antenna. So many people are saying, well, I'm going to buy a booster, which is an electronic device, which takes the cellular data signal and enhances it and then sends it off to your your hotspot. So uh, this is marginally good. The best thing to do for your hotspot is to add an antenna which you can put in a location which is uh, more conducive to receiving the signal. Now think about this for a minute. This little hotspot is about the size of a pack of cards. And what kind of antenna does it have in it? Small. But this is counterintuitive. No, to me, when I'm, when I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about a booster, I'm thinking that it's going to boost the signal. So why is it a bad choice? One thing is it's only single channel. And that's a problem. But the other thing, because... A single channel of what? Data. I have two channels of data? Well, it's called MIMO, and you have multiple in, multiple out. And so these antennas are not just one antenna, but they're multiple antennas. And even being just 
inches apart, they pick up the signal differently, and so they get a better signal. The bottom line is, is, is that it has to take the signal, and it, then it has to retransmit it to your device. And that is a latency and a degradation in the signal quality. Whereas if you have an antenna, it's taking the original signal and sending it to your device. And boosters, if there is no signal, there is nothing to boost. So they often don't work because there is no signal to boost, which means your hotspot won't work either, but neither one will work. Mm -hmm. However, an antenna that you can take and tune and move around, you can find a better spot frequently. And an antenna only costs you 30 bucks, whereas a booster will cost you four or $500. Ooh, that's a big difference. So as I told these folks when they came over to ask us, I said, get yourself a hotspot that has the capability to accept an, a, an antenna, a MIMO antenna, and then because it has two plugs on it, not just one, but two, so that it's not like uh, that's just the single antenna. Your phone doesn't take an antenna. Your phone will take a booster, and the boosters are okay for uh, phone talking, but uh, they don't work as well for data. And because they're only the size of a pack of cards, they're very mobile. Also, uh, there have been occasions where we have taken it out of the RV and put it in our car while we were exactly. at home or traveling around somewhere where we wanted to navigate um, or get more information more quickly and more readily. And although there is a monthly charge, and you want to look for uh, unlimited high-speed data when you're looking around for <laughs> for a plan that you can use. And we have uh, the Verizon unlimited high-speed data with the antenna. And right now we're not even having to use the antenna because it's good here. Good, good here. So but you never know. When we have had to use the antenna, it's just a matter of plugging it in and then repositioning it to get a stronger signal. So that works out quite well, and I would suggest uh, you looking into that if you're looking at getting data in your moving vehicle, your motorhome, or your travel trailer, or whatever you have. And, of course, if your trailer has metal sides, that's a problem. So this allows you to put the antenna in the window and not have to be blocked by the metal of the sides, as some motorhomes do. We read an interesting comment the other day that had not occurred to me um, about dollar stores, which are very pervasive in our country these days. A person wrote, when my wife and I discovered the grocery section in dollar stores, it was an aha moment. These folks are selling food packaged for RV size storage and refrigerators, and it's only a dollar. Costco and <laughs> Sam's Clubs were forbidding, forbidden shopping stops for us when we started full-timing because only the biggest rigs can fit a 48-roll package of toilet paper in the storage bins and we know of owners who give away rolls rather than sacrifice under the floor space. Even standard food stores mainly sell packages that present storage problems, particularly for Class B and trailer refrigerators yeah. with mini freezers. So given that we are on the large side and we do go to Costco and Sam's every so often, even at our size, I agree that it can be a frustrating experience. Because uh, we'll go into the freezer section and I'll say to Ken, you can pick out two things. Because that's all <laughs> the room that we have in our freezer at the moment. And the dollar store provides a good alternative. The dollar stores basically are all over the country and in the smallest of towns. In more rural areas, so you, you find, find them too. And, and reliably will provide you with uh, many of the staples that you need as an RVer. So we have not uh, really used them that much, but I'm I didn't thinking, think about it. But uh, yeah, I didn't think about it. I always thought um, 
don't know what I thought about Dollar General. I never really <laughs> thought about it, but I didn't think of it as a food store. No. I thought of it more Which as is kind of what this person is saying. Yeah. At the same time, we got an email from uh, Richard who says, I have a 4K TV. And, of course, we all have that these days. Okay. <laughs> no. And the antenna I bought says it's a 4K antenna as well, but I don't seem to be getting anything better quality than 1080p. Why? Well, because there is no broadcast universal broadcast standard for 4K. So the all the broadcast channels that you receive are only 1080p. So why am I hearing about 8K? A, well, that's my next purchase. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the satellite the satellite offers us 4K over the internet offers us 4K so we can get 4K content but which seems plenty good are you jeez well next spring we're getting an 8K TV for uh, the motorhome why not we stream sounds pricey, we're, we're, sounds we're, pricey. We're, we're, although TVs are much more affordable we're getting off of uh, satellite we're going to go to streaming are we well, now that we have uh, the hot spots and stay the- tuned, listeners, while we <laughs> slug it out. <laughs> yes, we will be slugging it out. But the other thing that's uh, that sticks out to me here is that I bought an antenna that says 4K. Also, totally bogus. An antenna is an antenna. Analog signals that are coming through the air are the same signals that have always come through the air. So whatever antenna you used to have will work fine as long as it's UHF compatible. Because as I've talked about this a couple of times, all the new t- the TVs are on UHF channels. So the smaller antennas work actually better rather than the big ones with the arms on them. So don't be sucked in by 4K. It's my wife's advice. Stick with 1080p and you'd be fine unless you're doing unless you're doing a lot of streaming. You're camping. <laughs> We're boondocking. Even more so. Well, I think that about does it for this month. We have had, oh, this has been good. We've got uh, lots of interesting topics, and we're, we're able, actually camping. We're actually camping, and so uh, in the upcoming month, um, we will probably not be camping. No. With the back to the physical the, therapy and doctor's appointments, but we will be hitting uh, south uh, probably sometime in November, and maybe you'll see us in a campground near you. We did see obviously one uh, camper here with saw us, uh, and we're camping and we're chatting with them, so we have seen uh, somebody that we can talk to. But uh, if you see us around, uh, be sure to say hi. And other than that, we will be seeing you in the next month at a campground not near us. No. No. So I'm not going to say happy travels. I'll just say stay healthy. Yeah, stay healthy. We hope that this will end in the not too distant It's got to end sometime. Yeah, and be sure to vote and to be sure to uh, participate in the local elections. It's important. It's important, yep. As we we have already voted. No, we haven't. Oh, oh, we're about to vote. Yeah. We're voting early. We're going to vote when we get home. We're voting early and often. (laughs) In the Chicago way. No, we would not even joke about that. We don't want to think. have anybody say that we have been... Uh, Advocating breaking the law. No, unlike other people. So, okay, uh, thanks for listening, and please keep in touch with us. Uh, this keep is, sending the questions Oh, I don't think I mentioned comments. that this is uh, episode 186 for October 2020. Oh, now you tell them. <laughs> October, just before November 3rd, right? Yep. Just before the big election, yep. and we are still in covid COVID hell hell yes okay thank you and we'll talk to you later bye now